Welcome to our podcast here at Trinity West Church. We believe that you will be enriched by today's message. Let's open our hearts to receive God's Word. Well, I'm going to continue a a message today called Parenting on Purpose. Parenting on Purpose. We started this last week, and listen, I can't review everything from last week. You really have to get the podcast, or you have to somehow catch it, because last week's sermon really kicked us off, kicked it off, and, and man, it was so good. I want you to catch everything concerning parenting. If you're here today, and you're a grandparent, or you don't have kids yet, or for some reason, uh, you know, you're, you're not involved in directly in the child's life, listen, don't check out on me during this series, especially if you're a grandparent, you still have influence. My wife and I, we just decided we, when we're grandparents, we're going to be vocal. We're just, if we see something, we're just going to say it. And if they don't like it, oh well. If the, if the, if the son-in-law or the daughter-in-law don't like it, oh well. But if we see something that we feel like needs correcting, we're going to be vocal about it. So listen, grandparents, you still have influence. I want you to have a voice in your grandchild's life. And, and listen, if you haven't yet had kids, I will encourage you, get every word that I'm saying here today. It will help you tremendously. So we started off last week talking about, uh, you know, the need for, for us to understand parenting. And we'll review just a little bit, but I want to just share a couple things. And the first thing is this. You have to know that the purpose of parenting is to raise a godly adult. Let me say it again. Let me shout it from the rooftops. The purpose of parenting is to raise a godly adult. When I was a teenager, I thought that the purpose of parenting is so that my dad did not have to take out the garbage. I thought, really, that's why he had children. He did not want to mow the lawn. He did not want to take out the garbage. And I thought that was it. But that's not the purpose of parenting. The purpose of parenting is to raise a godly adult. Dr. John Townsend, in his book, Boundaries uh, for Kids said this, you need to interpret a child's behavior as a response to your own. Listen to that for just a minute. You need to interpret a child's behavior. In other words, a child is acting the way they're acting because you're parenting the way you're parenting. Ooh. I got four kids and that one hits home. So we are major influences in our child's life. We are the major influence in our child's life. And and so we have a responsibility. God holds us accountable for how our child behaves, the actions that they take. Now, I understand when they're grown, they're going to do what they do, and and we have very little influence over that at at a certain stage of their life. But while they're in our home, we are molding and shaping them. We are making decisions, and their behavior is a direct result of our own behavior. Listen, parents, you have all the leverage. If your child is in your home, regardless of how old they are, even if they're past 18, listen to me very carefully. You have all the leverage. When I weigh 175 pounds and my four-year-old weighs 45 pounds, guess what? I have all the leverage. When I pay the bills and they don't, guess what? 
I have all the leverage. When I'm the one putting food at the table and they're the one consuming it, guess what? I have all the leverage. In my house, it's what I say goes. I have all the leverage. I, I have a man uh, who was a friend of mine. My son, uh, Caleb, went to spend the night at his house. And a uh, good man, him and his wife, we knew them. We'd been to their house. They were Christian people. My son was about 10 years old, and, and he was going to have a birthday party for his son. So he invited four boys to go over to the house. And they were going to rent a movie, and they were going to have a good time. And, and so my wife and I said, okay, that would be fine. We'll let Caleb go. Well, we found out that that night, uh, the next day when Caleb came home, uh, we found out that they had rented a movie, all right. It was a horror movie. Now, we don't allow horror movies in our house. I don't know why anybody would want to watch a horror movie anyway. The last one I watched, I was probably 12. It was Halloween. They killed the guy. He came back to life. I said, I'm done. That's it. I'm, I'm, what's the point? If he can't be killed, why watch the movie? Okay, so I, I haven't watched another one since. And, and I think they breed spirits of fear, and, and so there's a whole other reason to it. So we found out that my son had watched a horror movie at 10 years old. And so I went to the guy. I mean, you know me. I'm going to say something to the guy. I'm going to say, in a respectful way, I said, hey, what happened? Tell me what happened. What, why, why did you rent that movie? I mean, they're 10-year-old boys, and you're renting some horror movie. You know, rated R movie. We don't allow rated R movies in our home. We don't allow, uh, we don't allow horror movies in our home. And he said, well, you know what? Those four boys, we were at the video store. This is back when he was at the video store. He said, we were at Blockbuster, man, and they wanted to rent that movie. He said, and, and I said no at first, but man, they just twisted my arm, and I finally gave in. And I said, well, what do you mean they twisted your arm? You mean like physically? You mean like those four 10-year-old boys jumped on yourself, and they grabbed you in some UFC hold or something? You mean they tackled you down to the ground, and they held you there, and they grabbed your arm, and they twisted it behind your back? I mean, you weigh 220 pounds. You're telling me that those four boys literally twisted your arm? And I knew what he meant. I knew they didn't mean, he didn't mean literally. What he meant is they just kept going, and they begged, and they pleaded, and finally he gave in. And I said, well, what'd you give in for? Oh, they just begged and pleaded. I don't care. My kids can beg and plead all they want. If I was the guy in the video store and they said, well, we really want to rent this movie, I'd have said no. If they start begging, guess what? We're out of here. We're gone. Say one more word. Just say one more word. We're going to exit this store so fast. There'll be no movie. And guess what? I'll save money. So just, just try me. Just try me. Listen, parents, you have all the leverage. What happened? Why do we give in so easily sometimes as parents? We need to make sure that our yes means yes and our no means no. Amen? That was for somebody here today. I don't know who needed to hear that. Listen, our goal is to win, not the argument, not what movie we rent. Here's our goal. Our goal is to win their heart. That's what we're really after. But you see there's a battle that's taking place for their heart.
In Daniel chapter 1, and we read this last week, in verse number 5, this is what it says. It says that the king uh, was there, and he took some of the teenagers, some of these young men, and he decided he was going to feed them his delicacies. He was going to feed them some wine from his table, and he was going to teach them for three years so that one day they're going to serve him. Let me tell you, that king is a type of the enemy. It's a type of of Satan, and what happens is Satan tries to come in, and he tries to get your kid to want his things, change his, the, the child's desires, change their appetite, so that one day they start serving the devil instead of serving God. There is a battle that is taking place for the hearts of our children. And it is a, a battle that we have got to win. And I said last week, we win by paying attention. You have to pay attention. You have to know what's going on in your child's life. Listen, if you're not paying attention, you're not winning. You hear me now? If you're not paying attention, you're not winning. If you don't know who their friends are and what morals those friends have and their families, let me tell you, you're not winning. If you give them a, a, a phone or some sort of device, whether it's a computer, device, a tablet, a phone, and you have no filter, there's no block, there's unlimited access to the internet, guess what? You're not winning. If you allow them to have a TV in their bedroom and they have, uh, they have access to cable television in their bedroom, guess what? You are not winning. You're not winning. If you don't know where they're at, if you don't know what is going on in their life, you're not winning. And listen, if you're not interested in in what they're interested in, you're not winning. So we said last week, I wanted to give you three things. These things are non-negotiable. In other words, they're not open for debate. Listen to me as your pastor. I want you to know these three things have to happen in your child's life. They have to have these three things. This isn't two out of three, or I'll try to get one out of three. You have to nail all three. Number one, they need your attention. They crave your attention. They have to have your attention. We said that last week, and we talked about the danger of phones and screens in general. And you need to hear some of the quotes that I gave last week. You need to hear the message last week on what is so dangerous about these screens. And the the phone and the TV and the computer, we live in a whole different world now. It's a different world than than what I grew up in. And you need to know where your child is, what they're doing. You need to pay attention to what's going on in their life. I said this last week, you have to really establish the family table. Listen, if you want to know one way to really pay attention to what's going on in, in your family's life, your child's life, you need to establish the family table. My wife and I just decided uh, years ago that we were going to do our best, our absolute best, to eat dinner as often as we can as a family at the table. So we make an effort for four to five nights a week eating dinner at the table, no phone, no TV, no devices of any kind. We sit there and we look at each other. Do you remember that? See, it used to be that you did that on Sundays, but we, we try to do that every, as often as we can. And we ask, we ask a question. We ask a very simple question. We go around the room, and we say, hey, what was, the fa- what, was, what was the best part of your day? Not how was your day, what was the best part of your day? And so we, we have engaged in conversation, and we try to talk. And, 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 and like I said, no devices. 
No TV. And we try to do this. Now listen, my kids are playing soccer. They're playing volleyball. I teach a, a small group on Tuesdays here at the church. We have Wednesday night service. I know what busy looks like. But you have to do it. Again, you have to pay attention to your child. And listen, when you eat at that table, this is the hard part. You stay there until everybody's done. That's very difficult for me. Me and Caleb eat at a whole different pace than the ladies. We just, we're done in 30 seconds. We just inhale the food as fast as we possibly can. Cynthia, when she eats, she does something so annoying. She chews. I don't know why she does that. I never chew. She chews. So I will be completely done, and she's just getting started, sitting there chewing away. I'm like, why do you chew so much? Well, if you chew 45 times, it helps. I don't care about that. But she chooses, so I have to sit there. Now, listen, I don't always hit it. I'm not a perfect parent. There's many times when I just kind of get up and go, I just can't take it anymore. You haven't even started uh, on your steak. Now, come on, let's go. But Caleb and I, were done. So it's a, it's a challenge, but you make every effort to stay there and you converse. So you have to pay attention to what is going on. Listen, who are your kids hanging around? I'm talking about from a very young age, who are they hanging around? And then ask yourself this question. What music are they listening to? Do you know the, the music that they're listening to? Do you know the stations? Do you know the music that's on their phone? Do you understand the lyrics? Have you read the lyrics? Do you know the lifestyle of the musicians that are playing the music that they're listening to? Listen, that's huge. That is absolutely huge. There's no worse commercial out there, and nothing grinds my gears quite like that kids' bop commercial. If you haven't seen it, what it is is people have taken secular music, ungodly secular music, and they have marketed to kids called kids' bop. And there's like kids' bop 127 now. I mean, it's, it's been so popular. And I found out, I didn't know this, I found out that they actually changed some of the lyrics so that it's a little more kid-friendly. But guess what, Mom? Guess what, Dad? Your kids might listen to that kid's bop music on their CD when you're around, but when you're not around, they're listening to the unedited version. Do you hear what I'm saying? So you have to watch, and you have to listen to what's happening in your child's life. So that's number one. Number two is this. You, pay, you, you give them affection. They need attention. The second thing they need is they need affection. A child craves affection. They're desperately in need of affection. And there's four things, there are four ways that your child needs affection. Let me give them to you as fast as I can. Four ways that a child needs, gets, receives affection. Number one is quality time. We talked a little bit about this last week. They need face time. A child needs at least a minimum of 15 minutes of your attention, your face time, Every day, quality time. And that means that you need, to, you need to sit down, you need to converse. They need quality time with you because after all, love is a four-letter word and here's how it's spelled, T-I-M-E. That's how you spell love. You understand? So you spend time with your children. Number two is words of affirmation. They need to hear, I love you. They need to hear, I'm proud of you. 
Uh, we did a men's encounter just a few weeks ago, and we had several men there who said that they never heard that from their parents. They never heard the words, I love you from a mom or I love you from a dad. And I don't know why some of this comes easy for me and some of it's more difficult, but this one's so easy. I, I just dole over my kids words of affirmation. Telling them over and over how proud I am. Love you, love you, love you. Listen, every daughter needs to hear from their father that their father says to them, you are beautiful. You are gorgeous. I, I love the way you look. I love your hair. The, I love your dress. Every little girl needs to hear that from their dad so that the first boy that comes along and pays them a compliment, they don't just fall all over. Do you understand what I'm saying? So every dad needs to dole uh, all over, all over words of affirmation to their, to their uh, daughter, but also to your son. And then the third thing is this, physical touch. They need to be held. They need to be loved. They need, listen to me, tons of hugs and tons of kisses. Tons of it. You say, well, what if they don't want it? You give it to them anyway. <laughs> I'm serious. No, I'm, I'm serious. You give it to them anyway. You say, well, what if they're a teenager? Oh, you plant one right on them. You understand? I hug my teenagers, I hug them, I love them, I, I give them kisses. I tell them, don't you ever be ashamed or embarrassed about your parents' affection. You never be ashamed of it. Now, I understand that they're going to try to withdraw, but we don't let our kids withdraw. We still give it to them, we still hug them, we still kiss them, we're still very, very affectionate. We were that way when they were little, and we've just kept it up all through their teenage years, and it's just been so easy. If you start when they're young... You just keep going. They need tons of hugs and tons of kisses. A, a boy needs to wrestle with his father. Caleb and I have broke every bed we've ever owned but this one. And I'm serious now. We have broke every bed. This is a true story. I used to put cinder blocks underneath the bed to support it because we broke the frame from wrestling in bed. We would wrestle in bed. I would hurt him somehow. He'd go running to mom. Cynthia would come and yell at me. I would hide under the covers. And then when she's gone, he comes right back in bed and we keep wrestling. We broke every bed. I suplexed him off the top of the corner of the bed. We broke it many times. We've wrestled on the floor. We have, but we've just, they need, they crave that from their parents. You understand? They're desperate for that kind of physical touch. I had a 65-year-old man. This is why I do this. I had a 65-year-old man, a pastor friend of mine who was a good guy who had three sons, and he told me when he was in his 60s, and these boys were grown, they were 30-year-old men, they were married with kids of their own. He said, I never wrestled with my boys. He said, and I regret it to this day. I never rolled on the ground with them. I just thought, I'm too good for that. I thought I was above that. I didn't know that they needed it. And now I'm so sorry that I did not roll on the ground with my boys. And when I heard that, I said, that'll never be me. I, I don't want that to be me. And so you know, with Caleb, man, we have rolled, we've broken, we've wrestled, you know. We have pillow fought. I am a professional pillow fighter. I, that's something that you don't know about me, but I'm, I'm professional. Okay. 
And, and Elias, he cannot wait. He asks me all the time, Dad, can we wrestle? Absolutely. Absolutely we could wrestle. They need physical touch. They are desperate for physical touch. And then the fourth one is this. They need loving discipline. Now listen to me, because that one might have caught you off guard. Discipline is affection. Discipline is affection. Now some people think that it's not. And some people think that, that you don't love them if you discipline them. I'm here to tell you that the Bible teaches very clearly that loving them is disciplining them. I want to give you some scriptures here today. We're going to spend a little time on this one. But I want to show it to you from the Word of God. It says this in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. It says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Now, a lot of people have trouble with that scripture because they just see the word hate and they don't understand it. But I need to let you know this. When it says the word hate, it's not talking about emotion. It's not feeling an emotion of hate. So I want you to not think. The Bible doesn't say that you feel the emotion of hate. In fact, here's how the message Bible, or I should say the message paraphrase, and it's not always my favorite, but it gets it right here. Here's what it says in the message Bible. It says this, a refusal to correct is a refusal to love. A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. Isn't that important? The Bible says that if you really love them, you will discipline them. Discipline is affection. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse number 7, uh, the writer of Hebrews is comparing uh, God to our earthly father, and he says this, Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? It says a loving God disciplines his children just like an earthly father would discipline him. It says, after all, who ever heard of a child that is not disciplined by their father? In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 13, it says this in the New Living Translation, don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them. And it says this, physical discipline may well save them from death. There's something about discipline. That's showing a child that you love them. I don't know if you saw this ago, but do you remember the riots that took place in Baltimore over the, the death of Freddie Gray? And there was rioting and people were throwing bottles at the police. and There was all sorts of craziness on there. But one person made news and it just splashed all across our headlines. And it was this mom who saw her 16-year-old boy in that crowd and he had a hood on. And she was known as the Baltimore mom. And it was all over CNN and ABC. She grabs this boy by the hood and she just starts slapping the mess out of him. She's beating him. She's slapping him by the head. And she's, she's you know, I was going to show you the clip, but there's some foul language in there and it's bleeped out. But I just thought, no, it's inappropriate. So she's just mess beat, get home, you know. And they interviewed that mom later and here's what she said. She said, that's my only son. And I don't want him to become a statistic. I don't want him to be an, another kid that gets killed by a stray bullet or, or, or gets something happen to him. So I, I, she said, I know I'm tough on my children, but I want to save them. Listen, discipline saves your child. Discipline is loving your child. Discipline is affection. I get very uncomfortable around kids who are not disciplined. 
I just, I have trouble with it. Like, it, I physically actually start to shake when I get around a, a kid who's just, just going crazy and undisciplined. It just bothers me. We know a family that they don't discipline their children at all, and they don't go to church here. We're just friends with them outside the church, and I get so uncomfortable, and I watch this kid, and I've seen him actually hit his mom, punch his mom in the stomach, and when he does it, I just, I have to leave. I have to walk away. We were with them at the mall, at the Wellington Mall, and there's this fountain over by the food court, and this little six-year-old boy is just kind of hanging off the edge like he's about to fall in the water, and I'm sitting there, and Elias is with me, my four-year-old, and we're just sitting there, watch this kid kind of teeter, and the dad's just like, you better stop that, don't do that, you better, just don't, don't you fall in that water, oh, come over here, come over, don't you do that, and I'm looking at Elias like, ooh, oh, if you ever, if you ever did that. I wanted to beat him just from, just from being right there, you know? And Elias looks at me like he knows. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Because I'm looking at this kid, mm, you know. And we had to leave. I told my wife, I said, Cynthia, I had to leave. I, I was starting to shake. I just thought, who leaves a child to himself? Listen to what Proverbs chapter 29 uh, says. It says, the rod and rebuke gives wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Listen, children are not meant to raise themselves. They're God's gift to you. And they need your attention, but they also need your affection. They need your love. And part of love is disciplining them. And disciplining them promptly. And you say, well, it, it, it hurts them. Of course it does. Larry Stockstill said this. He said, nothing produces character quite like pain. Nothing produces character quite like pain. If you protect, protect your child from the pain of irresponsibility, you are setting them up for difficulty later in life. You say, well, I just don't want to bruise their fragile little ego. Oh, bless your heart. Well, listen, no, listen. You are setting them up for failure. If you don't bruise another part of their body, or, or I shouldn't say, maybe I shouldn't say that. I know that's, that's old school. But if you are not disciplining them some way, scratch that, rewind that, get that off the podcast. If you're not disciplining them some other way, you know, you are setting them up for failure later in life. Here's what discipline is. Discipline is giving your child consistent boundaries that have consistent consequences. Now, what's the most powerful word in that sentence? It's not discipline, boundaries, and consequences. The most powerful word in that sentence is consistent. My children know that when I say something, I mean what I say, and I am going to follow up on it. There will be consequences when you cross a boundary, and it will be consequences every time. I'm consistent in it. And that is the key to parenting. Consistent boundaries with consistent consequences. Have you ever seen a child, you say to them, don't touch that, and so they just kind of put their finger up there and they look at you. Have you seen that happen? I don't even like that. But what are they doing? They are testing the boundaries to see if there really are consequences. 
And listen to me, mom and dad. Listen to me, grandparents. I want you to catch this, and I want you to listen to this. If you are not consistent with your children, if you do not establish boundaries with consistent consequences, if you let things slide, when they get older, they're going to look at God, and they're going to cross a boundary with God. They're going to transgress God, and they're going to think to themselves, maybe God is like mom and dad. Maybe he does doesn't follow through with consequences. But they're going to find out that God is not like mom and dad. God is very consistent. And when he says don't do it, there's always consequences. Do you hear me now? So you are setting them up for failure if you boundaries with consequences. That is loving them. Listen, they just want to know where the sideline is. They want to know what are the boundaries, what's out of bounds. They want to know, okay, this is in bounds, but this is out of bounds. Listen, your child will go as far as you allow. Do you hear me now? Your child will go as far as you allow. So my wife and I, we've just determined, we just said to ourselves, okay, this is a test. They're testing us. And we're going to pass that test. And we're going to pass it every time. Why? Because we hate them? No, because we love them. And they're craving our affection. And part of affection is disciplining them. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment, if you don't mind. Next week, I've got one.